Hello, and welcome to Found, TechCrunch's podcast that brings you the stories behind the startups from the folks that are building them. It's me, your host, Becca Skutak, and I'm joined, as always, by the mysterious, the lovely, Dominic Midori Davis. Hey, Dom, how's it going? I'm hanging in there. What about you? I feel like I'm also hanging in there. (laughs) But something that'll maybe pull us through is today's amazing episode that we have for you, dear readers. So if you also feel like you are just hanging in there... Maybe this will brighten your day. Maybe it won't. Who knows? (laughs) Today we have on Shan Linma, the co-founder and CEO of wedding registry and planning site Zola. Yes, we had an amazing conversation with her. And as always, before we get to the episode, we're going to do two truths and a lie. So listen carefully to see what am I lying about? Okay, so Shan was able to raise a C round after one conversation. Is that true or not? The idea for Zola came from the need for a usable gift registry. Or is it true or not that Becca used Zola last week? Stay tuned. You got to listen to the episode. And then afterward, as always, we're going to reveal what was the lie. Mm -hmm. This one is particularly fun. So definitely listen in and we'll catch you back at the outro. Hi, Shan. How's it going? Good. Becca, how are you? I am doing well. Happy to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me fan of the pod. Very timely too, because we'll dive into this in a second, but I am actually going to a wedding, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. And my friend set everything up on Zola. So I think probably the perfect place to dive in. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about the company? Sure. Well, we aim to serve newly engaged couples from that first day they get engaged through their entire wedding planning journey, everything you have to do in the lead up and day of the wedding. And then after that, into their first years of newlywed life. So we aim to be that one-stop shop where you can do everything you need to do for that big day. And I'm curious because I know weddings is obviously something that there's a lot of cultural meaning to them. It's not necessarily a universal experience, but everyone kind of, they either go to weddings or they get married themselves. It does have that universal feel in a lot of ways that some things don't. How did you get interested, though, in starting a business around it? Well, very similar to you, Becca. I had that time in my life where it felt like all my friends were getting married at exactly the same time. It seems like you have that year where you spend every weekend going to a different wedding. It's a wonderful year, but it's also very expensive, stressful, and as part of that, you know, going to a lot of friends' weddings, you end up buying a lot of gifts from their wedding registries. So I was having that year, 2013 was that year for me, the year we started Zola. I found myself on my friend's wedding registries and my background was I had worked in e-commerce, building e-commerce products. And I was on these wedding registry websites and I thought these are just some of the worst shopping experiences I have ever seen online. At that time, the wedding registries were really dominated by the big traditional department stores and websites or mobile apps were really not their strength or their focus. And so I was talking to my co-founder, Nobu, who also has been working in shopping products. And I said, this is terrible. We can do a much better job. And our friends who are the ones getting married really deserve a lot better than this. This is kind of insulting. Now, Nobu, he's married. He got married. He was complaining about it from the couple's side. He was saying, yeah, it was you know nearly caused a, a breakup of his fiance before they even got married. It was so terrible. They, they had so many fights over it. And so we thought we are the perfect people to work on this and we can do better. And that was the beginning of Zola. What was it like going from that 
idea stage, realizing the problem, figuring out the pain point, thinking of kind of how you guys could attack it. What was it like actually building out the company? Because I know Zola, of course, does so much more now than just sort of like the registry side. So what has the journey been like of taking that idea and turning it into what we all, what I am going to go on and use this week to buy a wedding gift because I will not forget this time (laughs) or what Zola has become? You know, it really started off with, we thought, okay, well, this is an interesting idea, but let's make sure that it's actually a good idea and one that's valuable and one that's needed. And so we just tried to find as many people as we could who had either recently gotten married or were engaged and planning their weddings. And we ended up going to a lot of coffee shops, having a lot of one-on-one coffees, lunches, breakfast, asking people, tell us how you're thinking about your wedding. What are you excited about? What are you stressed about? What are you using? What's good and bad about that? And through these coffee conversations, we found a lot of stress and anxiety about, you know, everyone said the same thing, which is, I've never done this before. This is the first time I'm getting married. I have no idea what to do, but I have a deadline and just please help me and tell me what I should be doing. And so what originally was the thought of, oh, we could reimagine the wedding registry, kind of expand it into this bigger idea of we could help couples with their entire wedding planning journey. We can start with the registry, but the the industry itself is so antiquated that it really needs to be disrupted in the same way that every other industry has been with technology. And so through those user conversations, we kind of validated, this is a need, this is a pain point. And slowly we started kind of designing a prototype for what would be a better product. We started kind of having these design brainstorming sessions together in my living room on my coffee table on the floor. And we would sketch out on pieces of paper, these designs for what we thought would be a a better user experience, and then put those into an online prototype, go back to the same couples and friends and say, okay, based on our conversation, what do you think? Is this what you had in mind? Would you want to use this? And over that period of a few months can design what is the basis for Zola today. Talking about industry disruption, what was the reception like from, I guess, the big box retailers who you you kind of just came in there and did their whole thing? What was the reception like in the industry? Yeah, I think we were lucky in that we were kind of flying a little bit under the radar because the big box retailers had a lot going on in that they were being disrupted and you know, people kind of migrating away from traditional department stores, migrating online. So they had a lot going on. The registry was like the last thing on their mind. And so they were really focused elsewhere and we were able to build this business kind of under their noses, so to speak. You know, I think a few years in, as we started to really find product market fit and, and brand recognition, some of these department stores came to us to want to work together. And we also were interested in thinking, how do we offer products from stores that our couples do want, but they don't necessarily want to create three different registries at three different stores just for one wedding. They would rather have that all in one registry. And so can we be that place, but still partner with those stores to offer their products? And you know, today we do have partnerships with some great stores where their products are only sold at their store as well as Zola. 
And this seems like such, I mean, obviously an amazing idea that taps into like a really pressing need. Did you initially start bootstrapping this or did you immediately go to investors and pitch this? Well, if you know, every founder that I've spoken to has always had a very unique fundraising story. And our story of how we initially got our seed funding is, is no different and that it's very different. So what happened was... Kevin Ryan, who is a well-known New York entrepreneur and investor, and he had built many successful businesses over the years, including Guilt Group. He was someone that Nobu and I had worked with for many years at Guilt, where we, we joined in the early days and kind of built that on the product side. And as a result, worked very closely with Kevin, who was founder and chairman and a one-point CEO of Guilt. So we were all talking together about this idea for a new kind of weddings company. Nobu and I were, were talking to Kevin about what we'd heard, what we were interested in doing. And he said to us, I love this. I've always wanted to do something in weddings. I would love to work with you guys again. I will give you the seed funding and let's just get started. Hmm. You know, when I tell people that, they're like, wow, that was so easy. You, you know, you raised your seed round in a second. I wish I could do that too. And what I always say is, no, we worked, Nobu and I worked our butt off for four years, day, night, weekends, 24-7 to prove that we were good enough <laughs> to be able to have someone to say, okay, I'll, I'll invest in you in a second. And so both luck and hard work, but that was, that was how we had seed funding to really be able to invest in building the, the first product, building the MVP and getting it out there into the world. And sort of thinking about when you guys got started, a lot has changed since then. Because I know even just talking about what you mentioned was sparked the idea of these big box retailers not even being really designed yet for smooth e-commerce transactions, let alone wedding registries. That kind of stuff has all come up to date by this point. Plus, this category has gotten more crowded in general. I know there are a couple other venture-backed startups that are also trying to do wedding registries and wedding websites, all a little bit different, but all kind of trying to solve the same problems that you guys set out to as well. And what has it been like riding that wave and sort of keeping Zola with the market share it has, keeping it as a major player in this category? Like, how has it been able to kind of ride the changes that have happened in this space since you guys launched? Yeah, so my background and my co-founder's background is really around product to product design. And so naturally, we believe that the best product always wins in the market. and what we are very proud of is that even though our wedding registry product has been out there in the world now for 10 years, there is no other player that has and offers the same things that we do in, in our very first product that you know everyone could see and potentially could do the same thing. But for some reason, they just can't. And so just some of those things are like, we let you add products from anywhere, including the Zola store, which then you can decide when you want to ship. We integrate our registry fully into our wedding website, into our guest list, invitations and paper. And so all the things that we've built are built in a way that it's a seamless kind of ecosystem of products. And I think if you were to look at each product available in the wedding space, you would find that really isn't the case anywhere except for Zola. And so I think the way that we've stayed ahead is through product development, through day in, day out, we think about what can make the users couples' lives easier and better. And we just keep adding onto that day by day, brick by brick, until you know we see kind of 10 years later, this ecosystem of products 
that are both wide in terms of breadth, but each product in and of itself is best in class. And each product competes with kind of a different set of competitors, but it is the winner in that category. And then no one connects these products together like we do. And sticking on the product side for a second, I am always curious with how you guys decided to sort of add on to that original idea with the wedding registries. What products made sense to add on? Which things were you were like, hmm, that could be a nice to have, but maybe our clients don't need to have that. Because I know something I've seen in this space is some companies now do like baby showers. So you can do like a registry for like a baby shower or others or you can book your lift for after the wedding through the platform. So that's like people are like going off in different branches. So I'm definitely curious, like how you guys decided when and where to expand as you were building out these different products. You know what, this is an interesting question because in the early years, we tried to stay very focused on just let's like make sure where we can really win and get it right in our first product. And so we stayed on that wedding registry product and doing only that 24-7 for four years. But we kept hearing like pretty much from day one, week one, we kept hearing people say, well, I love Zola for my registry. If I could just add a few details about my wedding, I could also make it as my wedding website, it's both together, and then I'd be done. Can you please do that? And we purposely kind of said, you know, we aren't doing that right now. After four years of hearing that, we said, okay, it's time. We can do that. So we launched the wedding website and it was a hit straight away. It took off out of the gate. And so we kind of thought, okay, maybe we shouldn't wait four years to listen to couples and what they're telling us they want. I think once we launched that wedding website, we very quickly heard, okay, I love the design I picked for that website. Could I also just print my save the dates and my invitations in the same design? Because you already have the guest list through the guest list manager. So if I could just print it all out, send it, that would be great. So we did that, actually. We did that very quickly after the wedding website. And similarly, by listening to the couples, that turned out to be a runaway success in terms of people wanting to use that. And it led to then our next product of couples were saying, okay, you have all these Zola couples. You probably know where they've booked their weddings. Which venues you know, should I be considering? Which photographers do people like me like? which photographers did my friends use? And so that led to probably one of our biggest launches yet, which is our venue and vendor marketplace where couples can find venues where they go and get married or vendors for the day of their wedding from their photographer, caterer, DJ, so on. And that that marketplace there has really been informed by couples in that we see where are couples Zola couples who've gotten married, where do they get married? And then how can we go and get those onto Zola so that other couples can see and just, you know, find where they want to get married faster? That's so interesting. Because like, you're obviously talking about like, adapting with the times and like moving product really fast. But I remember a few years ago, there was something with color of change in terms of like, where someone wanted to throw their weddings and how there's a lot of, you know, sociopolitical weirdness that might come up with weddings these days. And so I wanted to talk about how do you also navigate that as a company when someone wants to get married at like a very weird location that they should not be getting married at? Um, how do you navigate that as a company and say like, oh, well, we're not going to have our users do this or we're going to have them do that? Or like, how do you navigate that? So, you know, obviously we can't tell our users or our couples what they can and can't do on their wedding day because, you know, we can't control everyone. But what we can do is we can decide who we want to accept into the Zola vendor marketplace based on our 
vendor vows. And so every vendor that shows up on Zola has to sign up for these vendor vows. And what's included in those is that vendors must not, will not discriminate against couples based on their race, religion, sexual orientation, you know, all these dimensions that, you know, just are frankly offensive and and hurtful and just wrong. And so if someone was to discriminate against a couple on those dimensions, we would not have them on Zola. And so that has been very important to us, important to our team, important to our couples. And we are proud that we were able to say that. And I'm curious, maybe if you want to talk about that a little bit more, I'm curious because that sounds like a great policy, having sort of people put this commitment forward to be able to sort of use the site and advertise in that way and get connected with potential couples. Was that sort of a reaction to something that happened or was that something that you guys baked in from the beginning or sort of how did that come to be? Because I know I definitely agree with Dom that it's something that I feel like maybe we weren't talking about as much 10 years ago, but now obviously is a much bigger part of the conversation when we talk about weddings and sort of just decisions about events in general, just based on sort of where the country's going, what we're talking about in the zeitgeist and such. So what, how did that decision come to be? You know, I think it's very reflective of Nazola culture and values from day one, which was very consciously Nobu and I said, even before we had launched a single design of Zola is we want to be inclusive of all couples. And one thing that really offended us was that many of the other wedding sites that we would look at would just automatically assume that it was a bride and groom getting married. Like when you fill out the form to sign up, the default is what's the bride's name? What's the groom's name? Mm. And of course, that makes no sense. And so for us, it sounds so obvious now when I say it, but 10 years ago, what no one else was doing that we built in from day one was let's not assume who's getting married. Let's just ask for names and they can tell us who they are. And then the images that we show on the website, like, uh, you know, we used to show a silhouette. And if, if it was a groom and a groom getting married, it would show a silhouette of a groom and a groom. And I can't tell you the number of emails and outreach that we got from couples saying, thank you so much for not assuming that this is a bride and groom getting married. And so, you know, we tried to weave that inclusive value throughout the entire user experience from the very beginning and continue to do so in every product that we launch. And so whatever we launch in, you know, say the random marketplace, it's just, it's a natural conversation that comes up where we say, okay, let's make sure that we are not discriminating against anyone in the design of this new product. And sort of expanding on that too, because not even say getting into that side of it where we're talking about discrimination and things like that, but like weddings are so broad. I mean, I've been to a number of weddings. I've been to a wedding in the yard of a bar in New Orleans. I have been to a wedding at a very fancy club in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Like there's so many different cultural traditions, traditional commercial traditions. There's just so much that how can you kind of design a product that does fit every kind of potential couple that does come through the door, just based on sort of everything else that's going on. Because I know every wedding I've been to has both felt the same in some ways, but also felt very, very different. Yeah. So this was another thing that we actually tried to do early on in one of our products, which is a checklist where everyone's like, I have no idea where to start, what to do, please help me. And so you know, we have a, a wedding checklist where we say, okay, here are the things you need to think about. Think about the venue. Where do you want to get married? Um, who do you want to invite? And you know, to your point, Becca, like it could have been easy to fall into a default one fits all. 
But no, there's very different cultures with very different traditions that depending on the type of wedding you want to have, your checklist would change. And so we incorporate that into the product. So if you are from a certain type of culture, activities in the checklist, we kind of modify based on that. You know, so for example, you know, an Indian wedding has different ceremonies. And so we kind of incorporate that into the planning and the timeline of the checklist. So what I will say is that you are right. Everyone's wedding and experience is different and it's really up to them. We kind of say, you do you. And so what we try to do is offer a very flexible platform where people can pick any of the designs that we have, say for their wedding website or their invitations, or they can upload their own. You can always personalize your wedding to really reflect who you are, which is something, you know, again, we've really seen as a big change over the last 10 years. Hopefully we've been a part of that is the degree to which people want to personalize their wedding day. More from this conversation right after a quick break. And I'm so curious, I like have to ask this, what was the pandemic like when the wedding industry was just, I don't even know, like just exploded in terms of people having to cancel and everything? It was what a was, dark was that time. Like? It was one of the hardest periods of time, you know, potentially the hardest of my professional career. And as you might have guessed, everyone's pushed their wedding back in terms of date or timing. You know, we very early saw during that first week of lockdowns in the country, everyone was pushing their wedding dates back to later in the year. So because we could see that happening, we knew, okay, this is going to be a very hard time for both the company and the industry. And we, we started thinking two things. One is, what do we need to do to support the couples who are obviously very stressed and upset that they've had to postpone something that they've probably already invested a lot in, both emotionally and cash-wise. But then also, what do we need to do to secure the business? And what do we need to do to just plan for any scenario that could happen? And I think, frankly, one of the hardest things during that period of time, apart from, you know, let's just put aside that everyone was just panicked about what does this pandemic mean for me and my family, from a, a Zola perspective, we were thinking about who knows when weddings will come back? Because who knows how long this pandemic is going to last? And while, of course, we could put scenarios down on paper of what if it lasts three months? What if it lasts six months? Heaven forbid, what if it lasts nine months? Then the thing is, no one knew. Now, sitting out here a few years later now, 2024, what did happen was that we saw, even though the pandemic might not have been over by the end of 2020, people did start to get married again. So what we thought was going to be kind of a no weddings year ended up being actually pretty strong in the, the latter part of the year where people decided, you know what, I'm going to get married. And so the bounce back in terms of the weddings industry happened faster than I guess anyone would have projected. Um, it you know, was really towards the end of the year, weddings picked up again. And then 2021, 2022, huge years for the weddings industry. I think a lot of people you know, postponed and then also maybe pulled forward their weddings. So 2022 was the biggest year in decades in terms of the number of weddings in the US. But uh, yeah, I would not want to relive 2020 again. And I'm curious of coming out of that experience, which of course, I mean, every business runs into those hurdles, runs into those peaks, those pits, like you can't always plan for everything. But what 
is something you've like taken away from going through the pandemic that you guys can continue to implement at Zola, not necessarily to protect you from having something like that happen again, but how at the end of the day, is it helping push the business forward that you have been through that experience and sort of have been able to navigate a challenge like that? You know, I think one thing it taught us is that speed is of the essence in that you know, as soon as we saw people starting to move their wedding dates out and we knew what the implications would be for both the couples and the business, we were able to act very quickly in terms of, okay, thinking about what kinds of features and products do couples need in terms of how we can support them. So we launched this feature on people's wedding websites where they could put a message to their guests in terms of how they were postponing their weddings or what they were doing, what the plan was. We launched a virtual weddings feature. We let Anyone who had ordered a save the date or an invitation from us, we gave them free change the date cards. And so that quick response was really just overwhelmingly well received by couples. And I think just kind of paid back in terms of the loyalty that Zola couples have to Zola, particularly from that time frame, is, is out of this world. From the business perspective, I think we saw very quickly, okay, we have to start planning now and plan for what we do if this pandemic lasts all these different time periods and how are we going to get through this? So those quick actions that we took to support the couples in the business, it kind of makes you think, okay, if we live through that, we could live through anything because we know how can we react is really dependent on us. And you know, I'm proud of the way that the team handled that because during what was clearly a time that people could potentially just freeze, no one froze, no one panicked. Everyone was like, okay, we need to do what, what the right thing is, and, and let's just do it. And switching gears just a little bit, I want to know more about your entrepreneurial journey and kind of growing up, did you always want to be a founder? Did you know that one day you would have a wedding business? Like, what has been this process? Well, I was a nerd and still am a nerd, but for growing up, you know, I had always dreamt of being part of something, an industry that was changing the world, something where people who started from nothing, kind of like myself, who came from the middle of nowhere. And, you know, I, I grew up in Australia. So, you know, it's a lovely country, but it's very remote. And you really feel like you're very far away from the action. So growing up, I had posters of entrepreneurs I admired, like Jerry Yang, the founder of Yahoo, was kind of on my bedroom wall. And so, yes, I had always wanted to do you know what I'm doing now. So I'm very lucky in that way. But I don't think I ever would have thought that it would be in weddings because you know, I never particularly dreamt about my own wedding. I'm not married. <laughs> so it's just something where the stars aligned. And it was a combination of a market that I thought was really interesting and fun and joyful. And, you know, my skills and experience seemed to match it. And there was a, this huge, exciting opportunity to go after and, and really serve my friends. And so here we are. And what has it been like personal? for you? Because I know you worked at Yahoo for a while as well. And of course, Dom and I, we love Yahoo as Yahoo we employees, Yahoo. technically. Um, you started at Yahoo and then you were at Gilt, which was definitely more of kind of in that startup stip phase, like in that scaling phase, and then launching your own company. What has this journey been like for you personally? I know, of course, being a founder, being an entrepreneur isn't exactly the easiest job on the planet. And how have you kind of been able to adapt to that job in a business that has had so many challenges and ups and downs since you guys got started? You know, I think the years that I spent at Yahoo and Guild were the best possible experience and training ground for starting my own company. And I get many 
potential founders who who come up to me and say, you know, I'm thinking of starting a business, but I don't have that kind of experience. Do I need to get that kind of experience? Can I just start it now? And of course, it always depends on on the individual. But for me, I never felt ready. I personally felt like I wanted to get the experience and learn from people who could teach me how to do something that is best in class. So at Yahoo, what I learned was how to build products that are best in class from best in class products people. Once I started to see those great product leaders leaving for other companies, that's when I started to think maybe it's time for me to leave too. At Gilt, I learned what does best in class look like in all these different startup functions that then helped me identify what kind of qualities would I want in leaders in what ultimately became Zola. So for example, you get exposure, even if you're working in, in one particular function, you get exposure to so many things in a startup. So I learned, oh, what do merchandising people do? What do finance, accounting, legal, talent and HR people do? And got to do a little bit of everything. And then Guild also had the opportunity to launch and start my own business unit within that safety net of a bigger business, which was in retrospect, the best practice for then launching a startup myself. So the advice I always give to people is follow people that you think you can learn from. And no matter what it is, the company, the industry, if you are really inspired and think you can learn for and want to work for these people, you will gain so much in terms of how you then apply that to your future startup. Otherwise, you could learn it the hard way. You could learn it yourself in your own startup. People do that too. Sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it doesn't work out. And for me, I really, I wasn't in a financial position where I could just start a startup and afford to have it fail. And so many reasons why I I did that journey, but I don't regret it for a second. I'm so glad I did. And I hope, and another thing Nobu and I, my co-founder and I spoke about when starting Zola is we hope to give that experience to people who work at Zola. We hope that one day after many, many years of working with us, they will then go on and start their own startup and it will be better because they worked with us and we were able to hopefully pass something onto them. And thinking, especially with talking about what you've learned and how that kind of affected how you started the business, if there was one thing, and you can't say nothing, what's one thing if you could go back and change about starting the business, getting started, being new to being a founder, what would you change? I really wish I would have prioritized finance and accounting function and uh, skill set much earlier than I did. You know, I think in many early stage startups, you're kind of running to get the product launched, then get the product into the hands of users or couples for us, then get some kind of revenue so that you can afford to keep going and you have all these 101 priorities. And for me, it never quite made it to the top of the list to make sure that books were best in class. Mm. And so, yeah, we had a bookkeeper, a part-time bookkeeper, like many startups do, but it was not until we started to raise more serious rounds of funding that I realized, oh, no, we actually need an in-house team of great finance and accounting people. And I wish we had built that team much earlier because it resulted in a lot of long, sleepless nights and weekends trying to put it all together in a very condensed timeline, which, you know, in retrospect was just unnecessary and, and, and stressed out both myself and team much more than it should have. I'm definitely curious you guys are now just a little over 10 years into the business, what do the next 10 years look like? I know you've added products, you've added these different aspects to the business, but kind of where does it go from here? You know, one, one thing we've realized is that we really are a modern life stage company. So speaking about where do couples 
kind of ask us or beg us to kind of expand into next. Another thing that I've heard pretty much from the first year of Zola is, can you please now help me with my baby registry? Mm -hmm. So I think we spoke a bit about baby earlier, but for 10 years, we said, again, no, we can't do that yet. It's not the right time for us. And then last year, with the closure of Bye Bye Baby, we thought, well, if there's ever a time to do it, this is the time. So we did launch Zola Baby. We now kind of see a great number of people who use Zola for their weddings over the past few years, use us for baby. And I think it's it's one, another kind of life stage or category where there is no clear tech-driven market leader. And so it's an exciting phase because we continue to expand both in weddings in the number of things that we do right from that first day of getting edge. And then we are also expanding outwards now, first day that you learn that you you might be having a baby. Uh, other than that, you know, I, I continue to be excited about AI, as is the entire world. We're kind of playing around with the tech to see how can we use it to support couples in a way that they find genuinely useful. We just recently launched an AI tool that helps couples write their thank you notes, which is one of the top things couples complain about in terms of how painful it is to write like 75 to 200 thank you notes. And perfect use case for AI. So we, we launched that in our mobile app and we'll continue, I think, to launch more things like that to help take the workload off that's unnecessary. Unfortunately, I wish I could could say this is not the case, but unfortunately, women still do an unfair share of wedding planning work. And so, you know, we're passionate about helping make that both more equitable, but also maybe lighten that load. No, I think that's a good place to wrap because we're pretty much right at time. But I love the thought of an AI thank you note. You said that and I started thinking about it and I'm like, they really are like, hey, thanks for coming to the wedding. Thank you for the gift. Like, love the couple. <laughs> and it's like, it's true. It's like, I don't expect something heartfelt because I know how many they have to do. So that actually does feel like a great case for AI. <laughs> One that Sam Allman should look into that. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, we have your guest list that, you know, we helped you put together and we have the designs that you picked out for your invitation. So imagine you could use the AI tool to have the note done right there, edit it slightly, and then we can print it directly into your thank you card for you. And you're done. Oh, we love a practical use case for AI. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really fun. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you. It was great. appreciate it. And that was our conversation with Shan. Starting with the two truths and a lie, I'm going to take it this time because unfortunately the lie was something that I said by accident. So a little bit of a different format than our usual two truths and a lie. When I mentioned that my friend is getting married next weekend, she had a site on Zola. I was confusing her wedding with one of the very many I went to last year. Her site is on The Knot. I went to a couple weddings on Zola last year. I regret the error. I had just been getting off a red-eye flight that morning. No excuse, but the reason, dear listeners, we decided to keep it in, as opposed to, say, cutting it out, is that we think it sparks an interesting conversation about competition. Sure, while my brain was kind of fried when I said that, we asked Shan a little bit about the competition between some of the different platforms like Joy, Zola, and The Knot, and I think they're a little more similar than Shan let on to. Especially as a guest, I know personally I have never noticed really any difference between the platforms. I don't know what you thought about that, Dom. I, oh my goodness, I've only been to one wedding and it was very recently. And so I've never used any of these wedding platforms before. But I mean, based off of just a simple look, 
I mean, I don't see how different they could be, really. I mean, when the service functions are like the same, basically. Right. Because it's like, in theory, people want the same things and we're all talking about the same things surrounding the same event. I was curious and I definitely put myself out there by bugging my friend about this, who is literally preparing for her wedding in one week. But I asked her, I was like, why did you use the knot over Zola or some of the other options? And she said largely word of mouth. Like they just knew other people who had used it. And there was like a little bit of the pricing stuff, but it didn't sound like that was kind of what drove the decision at the end of the day. But I mean, it's a big enough industry that it would seem weird if there was one player. So I don't necessarily think there being a fair amount of competition in this space really matters as much as some other industries. No, I don't I don't think it matters at all. I think there should be more. I mean, how many wedding companies are there like this? Because I I don't hear about it often, but I'm also none of my friends are getting married, man. It's hard out here. So I'm like not <laughs> I'm like totally disconnected from this wedding world. How many of there are there? Because I feel like I'd heard of Zola. But now that I'm thinking back, I think I've also heard of The Knot. Yeah. The only other one I know of is Joy, which is another venture-backed startup. And I know of them because I covered one of their funding rounds a couple of years ago. But again, like even with them too, chatting with them, some of their answers around like how they were different kind of were similar to what Shan said about being able to just, if a customer tries to use them, which Shan mentioned a few times, and they are like, we want this feature, which you don't already have. And Shan is like, oh, we learned to be quick to build it, like build these products that our customers are asking for as like a competitive edge. And it sounds like they all do that. But I guess if you are hearing different things from your different customers, they're going to end up with like slightly different differences on the back end too. Yeah, I think I don't know how many different ways there are to plan a wedding. I think the basics are the same. Right. But I I wouldn't know. Once again, I wouldn't know. But what what were your thoughts on the the AI thank you notes? I think that's, I mean, does it matter if the thank you note or the gift note is personal or not? Is that a big deal? Personally, one, I am a thank you note stan. I still write them for my birthday and things like that to my older family members because I know that they like getting them, even though I know people always joke like, Gen Z doesn't even know what a thank you card is. I love a thank you note. But I also think for weddings and AI thank you note, I actually don't hate that because I get that they have to do so many. And I also just feel like my attendance, like no one plans their weddings so that I come. You know, like I get how big of a like a hurdle it is to do those kind of thank you notes. I remember I raised money for like a race a couple of years ago and I was like, I'm going to send thank you notes to everyone who donated over like $50 or something like that. And I sat down to write them and there weren't crazy personal. But after 25, I was like, oh, my God, fuck this. Like I was like, this is taking hours just to like do like a significantly smaller amount than like most weddings have. So I may be pro AI thank you note, but that might be a controversial take. No, I mean, my hand hurts thinking about it. I would definitely be like a thanks exclamation point moving on because what? But were people handwriting these anyway or were they using some type of Microsoft Word or like I'm basing it off the thank you note that I got from the wedding that didn't look handwritten to me. It looked like it was like that was font. That was clear font from like a font machine or something. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's like the personalized thank you note industry. I have no idea. Big thank you note. The big thank you note industry. Sam Altman is coming. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess that is a way AI would disrupt the wedding industry. Yeah, AI is everywhere. It really is. But I think one of the other things that stood out to me about this conversation is some of the talk we had about inclusivity which I know it sounds like Zola really prides themselves on how inclusive they've been as far as making sure their site is set up for same-sex couples as well as just like different wedding arrangements than the traditional, say, bride and groom. 
But there definitely is some other stuff in their history that's worth touching on. Yeah. When I was talking about when I mentioned like some people are getting married in places they shouldn't be. That was a direct hit at people who get married at slave plantations and that Wall Street Journal article that shows people are now getting married in prisons. That's weird behavior, everyone. I just have to first call that out. So there was a controversy a few years ago or not a controversy. It was just this advocacy organization called Color of Change sent a note out to kind of all the big wedding players, including the knot, I believe, just saying like, hey, People are getting married at slave plantations. That's weird. Can you tell them to stop? And, you know, the big players said, yeah, you're right. That is weird. So they stopped. And I think the thing that happened with Zola was at first they were like, oh, this doesn't violate our policy. And then they came back and they were like, actually, we're going to start working with Color of Change to be better with being more inclusive and everything. And so that was something that happened a few years ago. And I brought it up because I don't know, it's just really interesting. Like, how do you as a platform... Weddings are very magical days for people. And how do you kind of create boundaries with people like that? Saying like, hey, you can't get married at Alcatraz. Like, that's insane, you know? But at the same time, you want to please your customers. But she did not address that at all. (laughs) No, no. It definitely feels like one of those situations where it's like the Substack argument where people, they're like, well, we're a free speech platform and like anyone can write whatever they want here. We can't like police them. And then users are like, well, then you're going to have bad stuff on there like you have to like and I'm sure because she mentioned their whole agreements with vendors on the platform sounds like that existed prior to that but it was just that they wouldn't discriminate against any couples who wanted to potentially get married there which I know that doesn't sound like that was the issue obviously that's not the issue of getting married at a slave plantation when she (laughs) said that like sure it doesn't violate that but like we could look a little more big picture That was so funny when she said that. I was like, no, that was not the issue. (laughs) The issue was not who was getting married. (laughs) It was where. No, but I mean, I do, on the one hand, you do get her argument where it's like, even if they take them off the marketplace, it's like someone, there's probably wedding sites on there right now who are getting married at Save Plantations. They just didn't find the vendor through the marketplace. So it's like, she did make a good point where it's like, they only can do so much, but they definitely can at least acknowledge like what they can do. Yeah, because it definitely... It's just an interesting conversation, I guess, in terms of the role that companies and founders play in shaping society. I do not think people should get married in prisons. No. That's not something that I would help someone do. If you're a wedding planner and someone is trying to get married at Rikers, stop. Like, just say no. Just say no. So I guess it's I guess this is where capitalism intersects with society and values and everything. And kind of where is the line for a company and a founder to walk that line. Especially with it being like a marketplace too, because I'm sure it'd be interesting to talk to other marketplace. And obviously the Zola is not fully a marketplace, but what we're talking about relates to the marketplace that they do have. But like, I'm sure you'd get the argument a lot that it's like, well, people can choose who they want to work with. Like they are just the platform to connect people. So it's like, I don't know. I could see people making the argument. It's not an endorsement of having stuff like that on the site. I personally don't agree with that, but um, I definitely can see why there would be a perceived gray area, even though I don't think there's a gray area, personally. Yeah, but you know, that that's just us. Those are just our thoughts and opinions. No, I mean, those kind of wedding venues are probably booked every weekend, they all wedding booked. season, just a different world. Those antebellum weddings are ripping through the cells. Please stop. <laughs> Why? Please, just be more creative. <laughs> just be more creative, like seriously. It's such a huge thing, too. It is nice that these platforms have kind of been able to stay. And I know she talked about like COVID and it's interesting how they were able to adapt, even though I'm 
glad to have not been planning a wedding at that time because a virtual wedding may have killed me. Like I could not, I could not do a virtual wedding. I wanted to ask her about if she's seen any of the Animal Crossing weddings. Because that was like a thing. People were like, people were having graduations. They were, we trust, I remember the Animal Crossing meetups people were having. I was using Animal Crossing because that's, I don't know. Why was I doing that? I don't know. I also wanted to ask her if she saw an increase in people having multiple weddings because it seems like a lot of people just Hmm. had two weddings at the time. Yeah, I would be curious about that too, because it is kind of a product where you hope you use it once. Like, that's why it is interesting. Weddings are such a huge industry, which is interesting because it's a one-time industry, which usually those kind of things aren't good businesses to invest in and like aren't huge industries. Trying to think of another example. Like, I always think about cars, like when they get like car demand wrong and it's like, well, sure, I'm interested in getting an electric vehicle, but I'm planning to buy a car every 12 to 14 years. So it's like, it's not something you do all the time. When the new thing comes out, you don't like go and get a new car. So it's like the wedding's is so interesting in that way that it like has been able to be this like ginormous thing that it is, even though it's like people you hope to use it once. I know, which makes me think how how sustainable and profitable. Well, actually, what are the metrics of the wedding industry aside from them upcharging people at venues for food and stuff? What are the metrics? But I guess also, do people even get married once now or or a second or third Like, I don't know. I always tell people I would be a great second wife. So already Mm. that's like two weddings for Zola. How many times are people getting married now anyway? I I don't know what the financials are of this industry. Oh, I just know it's big. And if it continues to be big, I mean, it's a good industry to grow in for sure. Big wedding industry. This is going to be the next. But will investors still get it? Will investors get it? Because they always miss out on the big industries. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like this one has like worked out decently well for the companies in it. Yeah. What's the next disruption in the wedding industry? And is it seen as a women's industry? Did we talk about that a little bit? Like, how is the wedding industry seen to investors who are looking at it? Are they saying like, oh, this is just like a targeted toward women or do they see it as like an everything, an everyone type of business? That's what was interesting because she had mentioned, obviously, like raising the seed round was relatively easy for her and her co-founder. And of course, not all weddings, but a lot of weddings include men as well. But I definitely feel like planning is seen as like a women's thing, like setting up the website and stuff like that. But then it's also that weird thing because when you have same sex couples, if you have two men, there is no woman to be setting up the site. So it's like maybe that's what kind of has shielded it from getting put into that box. Because I know one of the other companies in the space I've talked to is I think the founding team's all men who like are running into the same issues, like going to their friends' weddings and stuff like that. So it was like maybe it is that universal even though it definitely gets that more like perception of being a more feminine aspect. Wedding, well, wedding planning in general seems like a more feminine aspect of it. But yeah, maybe it is more universal, which would be a good thing because it should be, but it doesn't usually work out that way. I hope more investors back more wedding planning businesses because it's clearly everyone is suffering as a guest and that is what I'm seeing and hearing. So that's it. Invest more in wedding, help us, help us. Yes, help us plan our future weddings. Dom's second wedding. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Becca Skutak, alongside senior reporter Dominic Midori-Davis. Found is produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Our illustrator is Bryce Durbin. Found's audience development and social media is managed by Morgan Little, Alyssa Stringer, and Natalie Kreisman. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. 